More than a decade ago, a famous author released a four-book series targeting young adults. They went crazy over it. They loved it. Shortly after that fourth book was released, a secret portion of a manuscript was leaked on the internet by that same author. The fans went crazy. They, they devoured it. What it in fact was, was a summary of those four books, that, those four book story, uh, stories told from the perspective of one of the main characters in the book. They went crazy. They got excited. Some of you know where I'm going with this. They got really excited. We get to continue the story. Well, the author was less than excited. The author got really upset by the whole thing. In fact, she declared, I'm not going to finish it. Not going to finish that book. Well, the fans were upset. You know, we're all worked up now. Now we, we, we were hoping to keep the series alive. Well, they were so intent on keeping it alive that they banded together and they wrote their own version of a conclusion from what they had with those little, that little four-chapter leak on the internet. Well, strangely, on a surprise move just a couple of weeks ago, the author, the same author, some 15 years after silence, 15 years of patiently waiting, released her own version of that book. And fans, some of you, I can hear you fans, went crazy. They got pictures, Instagram pictures for people here in our church family saying, hey, I'll see you in 48 hours. I just got my copy of the book. You know, they're super excited and we can't fault them on any way because, hey, look, everybody likes to have a conclusion. Everybody likes to have the story wrapped up into a nice bow. We, we all have to have a finish to the story, especially if we're invested, right? If we're all invested just a little bit in the story, we've got to have a good conclusion. Well, I confess that I had some pretty horrible feelings in my heart when I got to the end of the book of Acts because it ends so abruptly for all of us who have been following the Apostle Paul from the beginning of his journey, right, to Rome. By this time, he's 60 years old. By the time he, he gets to Rome in Acts chapter 28, he's 60 years old. And he, he came to faith in Christ on that Damascus road when he was 30 years old. And so 30 years have passed and he finally lands to Rome, right? We had this huge lead up. I'm going to Rome. The Lord is leading me to Rome. And then we're given very little details of what happens to him beyond this first imprisonment in Rome. We have to actually rely on outside historical accounts in order for us to, to complete the picture and understand what happened to him. So, so I asked myself a little bit of a question. The question was, that it went a little bit like this, was Luke a bad author? You know, can, can I say with any kind of certainty or any level of confidence that, that Luke was a, just a horrible author? But I don't think I can take it that far because it's not like he was a Renton author or a, an author in the shadows. This, this is a guy who traveled with Paul. He was completely invested, you understand. I mean, when he was on the ship that was in the middle of a storm, there he was right with Paul. When Paul was on his missionary journeys, there Luke was with him for a lot of that, a lot of that. So his life and Paul's life were intertwined. And so I don't think we can go as far as to say he was being irresponsible with the information, which leads us to believe that there, there perhaps had to be a specific purpose in leaving us there in Rome without the knowledge of the outcome. No knowledge of what might happen in the future. Perhaps the intent was so that fans, future Jesus followers like you and, and like me, maybe it was so that we 
would pick up the pen. And maybe that we would continue the story of the book of Acts. Amen? All right, so that's what we're gonna do today. Today we're gonna observe Acts chapter 27 and 28. We've come to the end of our series. It's bittersweet, isn't it? In the book of Acts. And we're going to learn what the book of Acts would challenge each of us to continue, each of us to continue into the unwritten chapters of a thriving advancing church. And I hope you'll follow along today, maybe take some notes, but I hope you brought your Bibles because in just a second, I'm going to turn you to Acts chapter 27 and verse 21. So if you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there and put your finger there, but just give you a little bit of a backstory. The people on the boat, there's a lot of them. The people that are on the boat are very hungry. They haven't eaten in some time. And they're in the middle of one of the fiercest storms that Paul had faced uh, on this ship. In fact, we know that the storm was, was beating against that ship. And if you've seen like the perfect storm or anything like that that depicts a ship and what it acts like in the middle of a storm, then you know, hey, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. In fact, there was a name for the storm that they were facing here, and it was called Euroclidon. That sounds like a pretty bad storm. If you got a name for the storm, it's got to be a bad storm. And so here they are in the middle of Euroclide in this, this huge storm on a boat in the middle of an ocean, and they're really hungry, and there's a lot of anxiety. You can imagine it would be a really tense situation. So hopefully that's enough to kind of get you dialed into where we're at. And here we are in Acts chapter 27, and we're going to pick up in verse 21. But after long abstinence from food... Then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me. That's Greek for I told you so. That's Greek for I told you so. And not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told to me. I love that phrase, for I believe God. That belief in God, that, that nearness to God had been developed over a lifetime, ever since he came to faith in Christ. In fact, we get a sense for the shape of this devotion all the way back to Acts chapter nine. If you go back to Acts chapter nine, when the time of his conversion, when he sees that blinding light from heaven that literally knocks him off of his, his horse, right? And, you know, he's, he's looking up into heaven and the question he has in that moment is, who are you, Lord? doesn't really have much of a relationship with the Lord to speak of, right? Doesn't know who he is, but fast forward 30 years to Acts chapter 27 in the middle of a raging storm on a boat, standing in front of all these sailors at the top of his lungs, he declares, the Lord whose I am and whom I serve. So we get a a sense for the shape of his devotion at that time in his life, right? It was this progression, this building of a faith, a, a, a weathered faith, right? I believe the Lord asked us to continue that into a future pages of a thriving church, a weathered faith. G. Campbell Morgan put it like this with the Apostle Paul. He said, here was a man on two ships, right? 
one after the other, in storms, in stress and danger, with howling winds and creaking timbers. Man, this guy's good. And rending ropes and and buffeting waves. Why was he so quiet? Because the Lord was with him and he knew it. The Lord was with him and he knew it. You see, he had learned or he knew specifically the difference between living his life on self-reliance and then there's the difference between God-reliance. You see, the first 30 years of his life, he had lived under his own guidance, right? Being led by his own rudder, as it were. But now he has this deep devotion for the gospel that's leading him into the synagogues to preach the gospel, standing in front of kings and governors and facing beatings and imprisonments and waging spiritual wars against principalities and powers. And, oh man, he even had to resolve conflict sometimes with people that he was really close to. He had a front row seat to the miraculous, didn't he? Long nights and days spent talking to people who were hungry to learn more about Jesus and all these missionary expeditions that he was on, taking in the lostness of the world around him, standing toe-to-toe with those that challenged the authenticity of his claims. It's interesting that at this point in his life, when the storm was at its greatest, Paul was in fact the most calm. His 30-year journey with Jesus had conditioned Paul, hadn't it? His reaction in the middle of the storm, the storm blew against that boat, broke the boat to pieces ultimately, but here Paul was able to declare, look, I, I believe God. I really do, I believe God. And it occurred to me that faith is one of the things that cannot be taken from you. Your faith cannot be taken from you. And it doesn't matter the strength of the storm. It doesn't matter what you're going through here today. Your faith is yours and it cannot be taken from you. I sat in a seat right back there yesterday, a celebration of life, a memorial service for a young man who passed away, a young boy who passed away. And his parents were standing here on this stage declaring their love for him and helping us all to celebrate his life. And they grieved, obviously, their grief, you could tell that their their grief was deep and it was real and it was raw. But in the middle of all of it, they said with confidence, our relationship with Jesus has deepened during this time. This storm has not robbed us of our relationship with the Lord. In fact, we have grown closer to him. Listen, faith is one thing that the storm cannot take from you. No, it strengthens, doesn't it? Relationship with Jesus forges like this character, this strength in that intimacy that helps you, to, helps you to make it. It really does. I'm reading through a book by, or a book about Gladys Alward. She was a missionary to China. And uh, she actually, an interesting thing, she failed Bible college, folks. She, she failed Bible college. In fact, the administrator called her into his office and is sitting down across from one another. The administrator looks at her and says, look, mate, this, this, this really isn't for you. I, I know you feel called to China. I know you feel like the Lord is leading you to go in that direction. And so well, um, what I'd like to do is recommend that you maybe just get a job and you earn your way to get to China on your own. 
And so he said, look, I've got a, a referral here. I know you used to clean houses for a living. I've got a family that are looking for somebody to live in their house with them and clean their house. Um, would you be interested in this assignment? And she said, yes, took the card, called the family, and they invited her to come and interview. She, she takes everything she owns into a little suitcase, right? She comes to the house, she interviews and lands, lands the job. They take her up to her bedroom and they get her all settled in. And when they leave, she's left alone with her thoughts. And she begins to think, God, I know you've called me to China, but I don't even know where. Where are you asking me to go? I don't know where I'm going to go in China. I don't even know who I'm going to serve in China. I don't even know how much it's going to cost. And so it was that, with that thought that led her to begin to unpack her suitcase, she opens it up and she pulls out her Bible. Pulls out her Bible and she puts it on the nightstand and next to her bed. And as she does that, she then goes ahead and takes out all the money that she has left after buying that one ticket to get her to that job interview. And it wasn't much, just a, a few coins. She lays it down and she prays a very simple prayer. It took a lot of faith to pray this prayer. She said, here's my Bible. Here's all the money that I have. And here is my life. Would you find some way to use me, God? Find some way to use me, God. And I wonder today, have you ever prayed that kind of a prayer? That can be a very scary prayer to say, God, find some way to use me. Because I know he can think of a lot of really interesting things. So sometimes I don't always want to pray that prayer, but she did. And Gladys believed God in that moment. And it was a very simple faith in God that launched her into a lifetime of leaning on him. But it had a start. It had a start. It was a, a life well lived for God. And it does. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul. It reminds me of the Apostle Paul at the, at the very end of Paul's journey before he was taken into heaven. During his second imprisonment in Rome. In fact, it takes place just three years after Acts chapter 28. He's writing to his young son in the faith, Timothy. And he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, Timothy, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. You guys know this one, right? I have kept the faith. I've kept the faith. You know, it's interesting. These are one, some of the last words he's ever going to say to his son, Timothy. So they're very important, right? But in that discourse, those final words to Timothy, nowhere does he highlight his accomplishments as standing before kings and governors. Not that he was a person of influence. We don't find any snapshots of him standing next to King Agrippa there in Acts or there in Timothy. Just that simple phrase, I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. And today I've, I've, I've got to believe, I've got to have hope that, that you and I, at the end of the day, at the end of our journeys, may be said of us that we have kept the faith. Amen? Not just any kind of a faith, a weathered faith, a faith that is with us in the beginning and a faith that is with us in the greatest of storms, a weathered faith. So if we're gonna continue the story, right? We're, we're fans. We're continuing this story. We're writing the story. The next pages of the book of Acts, Acts 29, right? First thing we need to continue is a weathered faith. The second thing we need to carry into the future is a prevailing gospel. We've gotta have a prevailing gospel in Acts chapter 28 and verse 30, we read the last two verses of the book of Acts. 
And I want you to follow along with me in your own Bible. Acts chapter 28, the last two verses says, then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house. And he received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Another version says, without hindrance, without hindrance. And I I thought those final words in the book of Acts were actually somewhat comical. I thought it interesting that Luke chose to use those words without hindrance because certainly it was not lost on him that here we are in the center of the pagan world. He is, in fact, chained to a Roman palace guard. He is six months' journey, as we learned from chapter 27 and 28, Six months journey away from the the central office, the, the head of the church in Jerusalem. And he was literally all by himself in the middle of the darkness. And yet Luke said that nothing hindered him. He was without hindrance. Perhaps they were both, Paul and Luke were both familiar with what the prophet Isaiah said. So long before that moment when Isaiah said in 5511, he said, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it will accomplish what I please and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Because Paul builds on this idea from the prophet in one of his final declarations to young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter two and verses eight and nine, he says, young Timothy, remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. God's word is not chained. See, most of us, we would look at this situation. It's pretty dark. It's pretty bleak. And yet Paul and Luke would look at the situation and go, hey, it's no big deal. There's nothing that can hinder the gospel. You know, the most intriguing thing about this, Paul Paul will share with us in Philippians in just a second, but Paul knew that the gospel was going to be spread no matter where he was at or what he was doing. In fact, he was chained. History tells us he was chained to soldiers. They would take four-hour shifts. And so that would mean that every four hours he would get a new soldier. How many of you know the soldiers were taking turns? They They were excited, really excited about going hanging out with Paul, right? Because every time that soldier was with Paul, you know Paul was getting to know him. You know Paul was sharing about his journey with Jesus Christ. You know that Paul was learning their birthdays and their names and their wives' names and their kids' names, and he was praying with them. And you know that Paul was being Jesus to these, these palace guards. And we know that because in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, he says, Now I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear where? Throughout the whole palace guard. Throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Goodness gracious, he could have gone through the whole rotation. He was there for two years, folks. He could have gone through the whole rotation of palace guards. The gospel always finds a way to prevail in the human heart, amen? It always finds a way. It always finds a way. Uh, this past 18 months, I, we've had such an honor to, to get to see 
and privilege of witnessing the call of God take root in a special family right here at Gateway. This family knows and they are confident in the heart that God has led them to the Arab world uh, to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, it was four months ago that Andrew and Elizabeth, they, they stood and they had plane tickets in hand and they were ready. They were ready. In fact, they were supposed to fly out, I think, a week later. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, all international travel was shut down and the borders to that region shut down as well. And so they were uh, not permitted to advance on that. But hey, that means we got more of them, right? We got them for the past four months here. And, and our families have gotten together on a number of occasions. And our kids have played together and romped around in the rivers of uh, Bandera and and Bernie. And it's just been, it's been a blast to get to know them more and to hear his story more. And he shares in his story that he used to be a soldier in the military and he served at one point in a forward area during wartime. And, uh, and when he came back from that experience, it had impacted him deeply as it does to most of our soldiers who go over there. And I so honor their time. I so honor them right now and the sacrifice that they make to go and protect our freedoms. But Andrew came back and he was angry. He was angry with what he had seen over there. He was angry at the people over there. He was frustrated. He had bitterness in his heart and he was prejudiced against that nation. And he, he told me so. And he said, at the same end, though, I was very surprised, Matt. I was very surprised when I began to feel the weight of the gospel impact my heart. I began to feel, because I, I protected myself with so much hatred for such a long time. I wanted to go back, but I wanted to go back with a weapon, Right? but I felt the Lord beginning to peel back and unravel the layers of my heart. And until in the end, I wasn't left with hate. I wasn't left with malice in my heart for these people. But instead I found that I was left with a huge burden, a burden that I could not explain, a burden that was supernatural, a burden that was way outside of myself. And so now I find myself going back to that land, not with a gun, but with the gospel. Not with a gun, but with the gospel. And I've asked them to be here with us today because they have plane tickets in hand and they're about ready to depart. And I'm praising the Lord for them and I'm excited because he's with them and he's gonna see them through on this journey and the people in that part of the world are gonna hear the gospel and uh, people are gonna come to faith in Jesus Christ. But I wanted them to be here so that you guys have an opportunity to pray with them. Would you guys do that? I want you guys to extend your hand. Uh, Andrew and Elizabeth, uh, if you guys are in here, I don't even know where you're at at this point, but if you could just stand to your feet, uh, we would love to pray with you guys and extend a hand. So if you see them somewhere, I think they're back over there. Guys, would you do me a favor and extend a hand? Okay. All right. Now I know they would tell you they're just being obedient. And so I appreciate their humility and, and the way in which they're walking this thing out. There really is a step of faith. And so let's extend a hand and let's begin to pray for them. Father, right now in Jesus' name, let's take authority over every assignment of the enemy that would try to stand in their way to throw up any kind of boundaries or blocks or barriers. And Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would just release them into the assignment that you've called them to. Father, I pray, Lord God, that the burden would grow even deeper in their hearts. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would minister to them and would give them a great peace in the middle of this situation. I pray every passport, every visa, every document, Lord God, that is needed for them to make it from point A to point B, Father, would be in order. Father, I pray that you'd call it to come into order. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and we believe all these things. And the church of God said, amen. amen. Thank you, guys. 
You know, it's clear, you know, just like the gospel gained access to Andrew's heart and into Andrew's life, it transformed him, right? It gave him the ability to, to then go and impact other people and to transform other lives in Jesus' name. And it, and it proves to us time and time again, the gospel has proven that it cannot be hindered. In fact, the gospel found a way even to reach out to the Samaritans, if you're familiar with that story, the Samaritans were on the outs. And so the gospel found a way to reach the Samaritans. The gospel found a way to reach those that put Jesus on the cross, didn't it? The gospel found a way to reach the Gentiles. Thank the Lord for that. The gospel found a way for those who are far away and for those who are near. The gospel found a way to the drug user. The gospel found a way to the prodigal. The gospel finds a way to those who are convicted. The gospel always finds a way even to those who are the most hopeless and gone today. The good news of the gospel just can't be held back. It cannot be hindered, even under the watchful eye of Roman soldiers. Such a precious treasure we have in Acts chapter 28. Such a great reminder to us that there's no power greater than the authority that we have in Jesus Christ in the gospel. Nothing hindered them. So if we are going to continue this story, we, we've got to have a weathered faith, right? We're going to have a weathered faith, and then we're going to have a gospel that prevails. We've got a, it's a strong gospel. It's not a weak gospel. We can depend on it. But the third thing, let it be said of us, that we took people back to an empowering promise. That each of us, Fans, continuing the story, writing Acts chapter 29. We got to take them all the way back to Acts chapter one. How many of you know the way things begin are very important? The way things begin can determine the outcome of a journey. And so, hey, it's important for us at the end of our journey for us to go all the way back to the beginning, to how it started. When the disciples are, are there with Jesus in that moment of uncertainty where he's about to, to go back and to be with the Father. And he, he looks at his disciples and he tells them, wait here. Wait here for the promise. Wait here for the promise. You know, he had alluded to that promise several times when he traveled with them in the Gospels. In the Gospels, several times we catch him saying things, dropping information about that promise when he comes the Holy Spirit, he's going to guide you into all truth. Remember that one. Or when he comes, he's going to speak not what, he, not what he wants to speak. He's going to speak what the Father whispers into his ear, right? And he's going to be your counselor. He's not going to leave you alone. You're not going to be orphans. He's going to be with you. In fact, greater works you're going to do than even I have done because he's going to be with you. And so the promise here we are. He'd alluded to it so many times in the Gospels, and now he brings it all to the forefront in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, and he says, look, this is what it's all about. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. We can't continue writing the book of Acts without the partnership of the Holy Spirit. We just, we can't do it. Many have tried, in fact, to paint the Holy Spirit as specific to the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit was for that time and, and for those people only. It's not for today. But let me ask you a question. Has the command to be a witness to the nations gone away? It hasn't. So do we feel more able to complete the journey on our own? 
Do we, do we somehow feel the technology and media has convinced us that we're more fit, that we're more able to wage a spiritual war on our own? Do we, do we feel that way? God forbid. In fact, Paul addresses that in Galatians chapter three. He called it foolishness. He said, he said to the Galatian church, he said, you've begun this thing in the spirit. Are you trying to finish this work in the flesh? What about you had anything to do with this salvation? This salvation was purchased for you because of what Christ did on the cross. And you cannot do it alone from the Holy Spirit. But for those of you who are tempted to do so, I got an assignment for you, okay? And that assignment is I want you to go home. I want you to pull out Acts chapter 27 and chapter 28. I want you to get out a map. Sometimes they have those maps in the back of the Bible. If not, look it up on the internet and, and trace Paul's journey from Caesarea to Rome. Just do it. It's a great exercise. Because if we were planning this, if we all sat down and strategized shortest distance from point A to point B, Paul didn't take that journey. At the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Paul didn't take that journey. In fact, I will say this. It was like all hell was out to keep Paul from arriving at his destination. All of hell broke loose, captivity storm, shipwreck, stranded on an island and snake bit. All of hell was out to keep him from his calling. Detours and dangers, maybe you can relate. Maybe all of hell is out to keep you from your calling today. What is your circumstance and your situation? I'm certain that you would have, you would have liked for everything to have looked a little bit more like a straight line in your life. But here you are today, and maybe your journey's felt a little bit more like the Apostle Paul. Maybe you're doing circles around the island like the Apostle Paul did. Figure eights, maybe, in the ocean with your ship. Maybe you can relate. So I ask you again, do we think we can do this thing apart from the, the Holy Spirit? No, we can't do it. Paul had come to, de to rely so deeply on the leadership and, and the authority of the Holy Spirit in his ministry. In Acts chapter 9, we read that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter nine, again, we read that same chapter that he preached boldly in Damascus. In Acts chapter 13, he receives his apostolic calling. And in the same chapter, we read that he was in fact sent out by the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 16, he sees a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us, please. Prophetic warnings and miracles Encouragement, in fact, on three separate occasions, Paul, I know what you're going through is tough, but I'm right here with you. Be encouraged. What would that journey have looked like without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in his life? Have you been tempted to try and do life without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit? The power that we find in the Holy Spirit was the source of the church's boldness, generosity, discernment, miracles. All of it has its beginnings in Jesus Christ and the authority of the Holy Spirit in the believer, the activity of God in the believer. I'll never forget, I was 11 years old. What did I know about the burden of the Lord at the age of 11? I'd gotten saved at the age of 10. My dad knelt down beside me in my bed and I gave my heart to the Lord. But at the age of 11, I had a, there was an evangelist, a, a kid's evangelist that came through our Christian private school. And she 
talked to us about the burden of the Holy Spirit. She talked to us about the Holy Spirit and how to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And I was intrigued by it. And, and I wanted, I wanted to, to understand how I could interact with the Holy Spirit in my life as a believer. Even at the age of 11, I, I didn't really know much about it. This, this, let me tell you, this is how I reacted. When they, when they came to pray for me to receive the, the Holy Spirit, I laughed. I did, I laughed. I, I thought it was kind of funny. I thought it was kind of funny. They were very passionate. And they were very excited. But in that moment as an 11-year-old boy, I, I just got to tell you, I, I thought it was all kind of funny. But it didn't mean I wasn't sincere. I was just 11. I'm riding skateboards and big wheels with my friends in our neighborhood and asking me to contemplate the burden of the Lord of the Holy Spirit. Well, it was the next week. It was the next week before a regular chapel service, our class, our fifth grade class gathered together in a, in a prayer room prior to the start of chapel. And our whole class was in there and we were praying as we normally would for the chapel service. They taught us to do that. And so we were but it was in that moment, guys, when I can't explain what or how it happened, but the whole class was laying flat on their faces. And, and they were crying out to God in, in ways I'd never heard before. And so was I at the top of my lungs. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus, as an 11-year-old boy would. And I began to weep. And I began to cry as an 11-year-old boy, you know. What did I know about the burden of the Lord? But here I am weeping. And I'm weeping for the lost and I'm weeping for people that, that I don't even know. What 11-year-old boy weeps for people they don't even know? But in that moment, I'm flat on my face and I feel this pressure, this pressure in my life, this activity in my life that led me to go deeper than I've ever gone before. And it's that activity and that, that pressure in my life that has been with me from that moment when I was 11 years old until 35 years later, I stand before you now. So many times in my life, I've reflected back on that moment. Just as Paul would reflect back on the moments and realize that the Holy Spirit was orchestrating something he could never have done on his own.